All right, good evening. Can you hear me now? Thanks. My name is Bulai Mignano, and I was asked to do this meditation a couple days ago. So tonight I'd like to meditate on some reflections that I've had during my mission work. Um, and I had some reflections on mission, compassion, and Christ's passion. And I wanted to use my experience um, as a missionary in the Philippines. So some background information. I did missionary work in the Philippines for five years. Um, and before that, I had been on several short missions. But with the short missions, I went to Nicaragua, Honduras, a bunch of different places. And I always came back feeling like it wasn't enough. Um, like somehow I held back. I, didn't, I felt like I didn't give of myself enough. But each time when I was there, I felt like I was trying my hardest and I tried to give my all. And it wasn't like we're, I was being lazy on these missions. My mission team and I would stay up late preparing talks, um, sacrificing sleep. We would be exhausted from jet lag or just travel in general. Um, we would, in charity, eat whatever was placed in front of us, even if, it would, even if we knew it would make us sick. And, but it's not like the food was bad or dirty, we just weren't used to, our American stomachs just weren't used to the type of foods that were there. And believe me, we got really sick on these missions. And, uh, but we would push through because it was our joy to lead us, to lead these people to Christ. Um, but still, at the end of these two week mission trips, or two month trips, some of them, uh, sleep deprivation, exhaustion, and poor health, I still felt like I was holding back, and I couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was that I was holding back. But this, these experiences sort of started my journey of reflection of how to do mission, how to serve fully, how to love fully, and how to give of myself fully in mission and in life in general. So six years ago, I went to the Philippines because I felt called to serve the poor. I also really wanted a chance to, I wanted to give it my all. And I ended up spending five years there. Um, but before I go into that, I want to talk about two things that in retrospect were really crucial in preparing me for this really long mission trip that I went on. Uh, it was different because of these two profound experiences which changed my life. So the first one was from a book. As I was preparing to go to the Philippines, I was reading a book called Poverty by Ray Nero Cantalamesa. He's the preacher to the papal household. So the book starts off by telling us that the poor exist. It's a simple concept, but when I thought about it, I, I realized that I tend to think of the poor as simply just the poor, something that we hear about. We see them on the streets, maybe, and Maybe we feel sad, maybe we don't. And when they're out of sight, we forget about them. And we tend to think that these are people who are over there, can't relate to them. And sometimes we'll say, oh, poor guy, but it's not my problem. Or sometimes we'll say, well, there's just nothing I can do about it. And well, at least those are things that I think. I don't know, maybe you guys are more compassionate than me. Um, but in this book, Canta la Message, tries to make the poor real to us. By giving, he gave an example of 
hearing, a car accident, hearing about a car accident or a plane crash on the news. And when hearing about it, something like this, we often just go, gee, that was a terrible tragedy. And often we just move on with our lives and continue our day. And it was more or less the same attitude that we have with the poor. I know I, I do it all the time. But as soon as we find out that maybe one of these people involved in the tragedy was someone that we loved, a close friend, a family member, a relative, everything changes and it becomes very real. And instead of just going on with our day, we want to react, we want to do something about it. And in this case, there's, there's nothing we can do, but we still want to do something. It's very different from when we didn't know the person. Yeah, so we can't just move on with our day when it's someone that's close to us because we feel compassion. So Cantalamesa states in his book that this is how we should see the poor. I'm not saying that every time there's a tragedy, we have to do something about it. And I'm not saying that it's our individual responsibility to get every person out of poverty. I'm just sharing this because it's something that inspired me to be attentive to how I view the poor and to, be, to view them as not just there's them and then there's me, but that there's just us, there's all of us. And it inspired me to be more proactive in having compassion for people who are suffering and not just dismissing it because there's nothing I can do. So looking back on that, it seemed like an obvious lesson, but I felt I needed to have read this because I'm the type of person who struggles with being compassionate. Um, I'm not really anyone's first choice for a shoulder to cry on. Um, I relate a lot to Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I'll just awkwardly pat you on the back, say there, there. That's really all I got. So this book really helped me to find ways to really be more compassionate. And I was thinking, maybe this is what I was missing from my first few mission trips, compassion. Maybe I was busy focusing on the talks that I had to give, focusing on Spanish, uh, which is still really bad, um, focusing on productivity. And those are all really important things when you go do a mission. It's really important to get the mission done, of course. But I personally was missing something. And I think after reflecting on it, it was compassion. So I went from reflecting on how to do missions well to reflecting on compassion. Um, the word compassion, I think we've heard this before in a bunch of talks, uh, comes from the Latin word, which means suffer with. And in my early mission trips, I thought I was giving it all because I was suffering. Um, but I wasn't suffering with people, the people I was serving. I was kind of just suffering from lack of sleep and, uh, you know, Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> I was kind of just suffering on my own. And that has its own merits, but it wasn't compassion. So what I took away from that book was that I... I can't possibly suffer with every person who is suffering. Um, I would, if so, I would spend my entire life just suffering. And that also doesn't seem right. So I came to the conclusion that maybe if the people that I serve become the people that I know I love and love, then I'll be able to have compassion for them, to suffer with them, and I'll be able to give myself fully and not hold back. And so I went to the Philippines with the goal of building genuine friendships 
with the people that I meet, and of course, also um, being Christ to the people I meet and leading them to Christ. So in November of 2013, uh, oh wait, well in August of 2013, I went to the Philippines, and in November, just four months into my time in the Philippines, when I was still a newbie, there was a super typhoon. Maybe you guys heard of it when it happened. Around the world, it's called Super Typhoon Haiyan, uh, but locally we called it Yolanda. So to put into perspective, Yolanda was bigger than Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Sandy combined. And in the Philippines, it's fairly common to have a house that's more like a bamboo hut, rather not really made of any materials that can hold together. And I looked up some statistics because I had forgotten them. It's been six years. Um, so from Yolanda, 6,000 people died, I think. I thought it was more, but that's what I looked up. 90% of the city of Tacloban, which was the hardest hit city, was destroyed. And estimated 1.1 million homes were destroyed in the affected region of the Philippines. So I wasn't really in that city, but the city I was in, which is Cebu, was also hit. There were several collapsed buildings, I was, but I was pretty safe. I was staying in a well-built convent, concrete. It was, yes, it was very safe. And the worst destruction that happened around me was that the coconut tree outside my window fell over, which I was not sad about because that afternoon I harvested the coconuts and had a nice little snack. <laughs> But we did lose some electricity and some running water for maybe two days, but that all is very insignificant compared to the devastation that happened in other parts. What was really amazing was that I was plugged into an amazing community of local young adults there, and they were on fire for the Lord, um, and they wanted to help the typhoon victims. The, there were local government officials from the rural areas that were asking for people to come and bring relief goods, and so we responded. And I remember this group of young adults um, working night and day, soliciting donations, gathering and repacking supplies, making shopping trips to buy all the supplies from the remaining stores that were open, coordinating transportation, hiring a truck, driving through the night, and then arriving at a small town that was devastated by the storm. I also remember on the drive out to this town that we were called to, I remember seeing fallen trees everywhere and people were at the side of the road with these big signs that said, we need food and water. They didn't know who to call, who to ask, so they just stood at the road just hoping that someone would give them food and water. I saw homes where the exterior walls were just blown away so you can see the entire house it was like, sort of like a dollhouse. There were turned over trucks and piles of wood from structures that were now unidentifiable. So when we got to the town, uh, we set up an area in the middle of the town and designated it as the place where we we're gonna hand out the relief goods. And so we had to kind of fence it off to separate the volunteers from the victims. And we used these like iron fence things I guess iron gates, I really don't know what they, where they were from, but it kind of felt like a jail. So we were, but the volunteers were inside with all the goods, kind of just making the separation. It was a very strange feeling being in there. Um, and I remember as we were 
organizing everything, putting it in a nice, neat line so that people can come in single file, grab what they needed, and then leave. Um, when we're organizing that, there are people swarming. They realize what, what was there. They realize there were relief goods there. And, um, and they would swarm the cage that we were in. And I remember looking out and watching these women. There were mothers that were trying to get food for their families. And I remember them. some of them were reaching their arms to the fence and crying and begging for food. And the image of these desperate mothers was seared into my mind. And at that moment, the book of Canto La Mesa popped into my head. So how can I have compassion for these women? I asked myself. So instead of seeing these women as strangers in need of help, I tried to imagine someone that I knew. I tried to imagine my own mother, to imagine her out there with these women. And it became very real for me. It's becoming very real again. broke my heart. And even just imagining my mother suffering so much, I knew it wasn't real, but the suffering became real. I just couldn't understand it until I knew, until it was someone that I knew. So I received the grace to understand more deeply the suffering, and in a small way, suffer with these people. And it didn't change anything exteriorly. But it was something that I kept in my heart. And after, and after we handed out all the goods we brought, we wanted to reach people on a personal level. So we visited families in their homes, or what was left of them. And I remember thinking that just a few hours ago, these people had somewhat normal lives. They had houses, they had food, they had their families, they had jobs. And in a matter of minutes, it was all gone. I remember seeing a man sitting in a pile of rubble where his house used to be. He was probably just contemplating life and asking, well, what do I do now, now that everything is gone? And again, I took that opportunity to apply again what I received from Canto La Mesa. So instead of seeing that man, whom I didn't know, sitting in the rubble, I pictured my father. I thought about how hard he worked night and day to be able to provide a beautiful home for my family. And I thought about how, in a matter of minutes, that home was gone. And again, everything became real. Other than a smile and a bag of food and water, we really didn't help these people all that much in the grand scheme of things. But I was able to enter into their suffering, to suffer with, and I kept this in my heart. I also remember standing there, a privileged American missionary who traveled to the other side of the planet to bring Christ to these people. And I was at a loss. What kind of hope can we bring to these people? Each relief package 
that we spent all of our energy buying, we spent like three or four days buying, preparing, transporting, and handing out all of this. It was just maybe two or three days worth of food for each person. And then what? How could they possibly welcome Christ that we're supposed to bring after they've gone through all of this? And the question that begs to be asked, the same question that leads so many people away from God, entered my mind. God, if you're so good, where are you in all this devastation? I didn't, lucky for me, I didn't really struggle over this question very long because God had prepared me through a separate experience that already answered the question for me. And that answer will stay with me for the rest of my life. And this is the second notable experience that I had, which prepared me for my mission. So we're going to rewind a little bit to 2012, which was a year before I went to the Philippines. Um, I had accompanied a priest friend of mine to Germany to help out with a project. One of the side trips that our hosts uh, took us on was to the Dachau concentration camp memorial site, a Holocaust museum. If you've ever been to a Holocaust museum, you know how real it feels, because it is real, but we can really feel it. There's darkness and there's a heaviness in the air. In this particular one, we were allowed to enter the quarters where the prisoners would live in, and we were able to touch furniture, the beds, so-called beds, and walk through the corridors, and it was just so tangible. It allowed us to enter a little bit more deeply into the suffering of the Holocaust prisoners. Um, and of course, we also heard and read all the stories of what the prisoners had to go through, the starvation, the killing, the torture. And being overwhelmed by the whole experience, I remember walking through and thinking, Lord, where were you when all this was happening? That same question that leads so many astray. So this particular concentration camp had a special area for priests. As we were making our way to the end of the museum, one of the final exhibits we saw, to my amazement, was a monstrance made out of tin cans. The craftsmanship alone was beautiful, but the story behind it to me was mind-blowing. These faithful priests used what they had. They were given the little bread and they saved it, and they were given grapes at one point, and they created wine with it, and they celebrated mass, and they adored our Lord in the Eucharist just how we are right now, except in extremely different circumstances. But seeing these exhibits and learning that the Mass was celebrated in the concentration camp, it's as if the Lord was hitting me over the head with the answer to that question, Lord, where, where were you during all this suffering? The answer was right in front of me. He was literally right there. See, if we believe that the Mass makes present Calvary, and Christ's suffering and death on the altar. And these priests were celebrating Mass, and Jesus was literally, physically present and suffering there in their midst with those prisoners. While they were suffering in the concentration camp, Christ was alongside them, suffering on the cross. So we often ask, God, where were you? Because we're expecting him to take away the suffering. But what I had to learn and relearn is that Jesus didn't come to this world to take away our suffering. Sometimes he does, but those are just little perks 
He came to this world to suffer for us and to show us how to suffer and in a mysterious way to unite our suffering with his. And again, I just kept this reflection in my heart. So fast forward again to back to Philippines in the midst of the, after the typhoon, in the midst of all this devastation, I knew that Jesus was somewhere. Among all the rubble of the typhoon, there was a little chapel that fit probably 20 people cramped inside and that was still standing. We invited the townspeople to come and join us for mass. And I thought, well, this one's obvious. Jesus is here in mass, just like, just like in the Dachau. It's not that there needs to be mass celebrated in order for Jesus to be present. We all know that God can be anywhere. He wants to be. But this was Jesus' way of telling me because I needed it to be blatantly obvious. He was there in, in the concentration camp. He was there during the typhoon. He was also there in my own dark times. He's there in yours. Jesus doesn't abandon us. He may not take away our suffering, but he's suffering for us and with us. After mass, our team started interacting with the townspeople. Some of our team started playing games and singing songs with the kids. Uh, sooner or later, there was a circle of townspeople around us, just joining in the fun and the laughter and the dancing. And this is also where God was. I mean, only God can make a town that was literally, that just literally experienced total destruction of their lives as they know it, and joyfully be dancing and singing. So God was physically present there in the Eucharist, but also present in the team. This super typhoon was just one of many experiences I had been exposed to with extreme suffering. But it made me realize that I spent the first 24 years of my life resisting being emotionally touched by suffering, my own suffering and others. Maybe I thought it made me strong if I didn't let it touch me. And maybe I just got into the practice of ignoring it because it made living the rest of my day difficult. Or maybe I just allowed myself to become desensitized. But being exposed in mission to, the, to being so close to the suffering of these people allowed me to just look it in the face and, and stop pretending that it doesn't exist. And in doing this, God allowed me to discover a new way for me to love through compassion, suffering, suffering with, and to meditate more deeply on his passion. Not telling you that I'm really good at being compassionate because I'm still not. Um, and you'll learn that very quickly if you get to know me. Still not a good shoulder to cry on. I just wanted to share my journey, which is far from being over, because maybe it would help you meditate on what Christ is doing in your life, in your suffering, in your growth, in compassion and love. And as I continue this journey of reflecting on compassion and Christ's passion, um, I realize I'm being led even more to go deeper in this reflection. Um, next week, it'll be one year since I came back from the Philippines. And I still ask myself sometimes, what do I do with all this that I'm holding in my heart? And I really don't know yet, because I haven't gone on that part of the journey. But in case it helps, I'll share with you what I, where I think the Lord is leading me. I was talking with Adam, who some of you know, the director of evangelization here. And I do believe God spoke to me through him when he recommended me to take a look at Mary next 
who was standing at the foot of the cross, who wasn't crucified, but who was suffering with Christ in a powerful way, and whose soul was pierced by a sword, and who pondered all that she saw and heard in her heart. <laughs>